Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala abadihin ladhi nastafa amma ba'd Fa'audhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim Bismillahir rahmanir rahim Wal-ladhina jahadu fina lanahdi annahum subulana Sadaqallahu al-azim Subhana rabbika rabbil azzati amma yasifun Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammadin Wa ala ali sayyidina Muhammadin Wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammadin Wa ala ali sayyidina Muhammadin Wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadi wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammadi wa barik wa sallim So we'll only do one name today because program afterwards <laughs> I was, uh, I didn't want to rush through the name after So, but regardless, the name, the next name that comes in the list of names for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Mujib And through some of the questions last week, we kind of touched a little bit on this name. Al-Mujib is the answerer, meaning the answer of prayers. Right, so <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, He says that, وَإِذَا سَلَكَ عِبَادِي anni, That when my slave asks about me, then فَإِنِّي قريب, Then indeed I am near. أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ دَعِي إِذَا دَعَان That I answer the call of the caller when he calls on me. So answer me also. Then he gives, he's giving a command to all of us that we should respond to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And believe in me. So that, you may be, so that they may be guided. That they should answer me and respond to me and they should believe in me so that they may be guided. Now in this verse is a whole lot of discussion. The ulama speak about how profound this verse is. Number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says that when my slave asks about me, He uses this word, ibad. In another verse of Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about those of His creation that walk humbly in the earth. Right? And He says, وَإِبَادُ rahman That the, the slaves and the servants of Ar-Rahman. Now we've discussed before how noble of a name Ar-Rahman is. So the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attaches ibad with ar-Rahman shows us how noble it is to be one of the ibad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibad comes from abd. It's the plural of abd. And abd is slave. So the slave and servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why we say uh, in the shahada that what ashadu wa la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu. That uh, I, do, I bear witness that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala There is no deity except him And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu Is his abd Is his servant Is his slave So we are referring to Rasulullah sallallahu As the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Subhanalladhi bi abdi Laylam masjid al-haram Ilal masjid al-aqsa That uh, glory be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And the slave who uh, that, the one who The, the slave who um, Traversed from Majd al-Haram to Majd al-Aqsa that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to Rasulullah as Again as his abd So in this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying That, salaka ibadi, that when my Ibad When my slaves and servants ask about me Then he says فَإِنِّي قَرِيب then, then I am near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have said فَقُلْ إِنِّي قَرِيب He could have commanded the Prophet That Say to them that I am near. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He starts this verse by saying, by speaking uh, sort of in the third person, right? About 
some other third party, right? And then in the next part of the verse, فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ Allah Ta'ala doesn't say tell them. He doesn't address us in the third person. But He makes us مُخَاتَ Meaning He speaks directly to us here. Not using a medium of Rasulullah That when they ask about me, then He turns to us and He says, I am near. Right? So this shows... And then He goes on and He says that, you know, uh, I answer the call of the caller when He calls upon me. So number one, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is the answerer. And part of our share in this name is that we have to respond to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In what? We have to respond to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His commands and in His prohibitions. Right? This shows how near, how much, uh, how beloved Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holds us. Now, <clears throat> there's, two act, there's two types of worship. Okay? There's the formal worship and there's the informal worship. Worship. Formal worship is what? Those things pertaining to the outward acts of ibadah. Things like salah, things like psalm, right? fasting, zakat, these types of things. These are outward acts of ibadah. These are the formal ibadah. Then there's informal ibadah. Informal ibadah are more like things pertaining to the inward, right? Things about uh, those things that we, for example, doing things for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or following the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? Loving the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. These fall under the informal acts. Where does dua fall? Dua is in both. Dua is outward and it's inward. This dua is actually an act of worship. It's not just something that we do for ourselves, but it's rather it's an act of worship in and of itself. Right? There's a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he says, Ad-du'a'u mukhul ibadah. That dua is the marrow of worship. What's the marrow? Marrow, that's that, that which is in the bone. Telling us what? That this is the foundation of ibadah. This is the foundation of worship. That we don't only ask of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we need something. We ask because He has commanded us to ask Him. He's commanded us. We all have needs, right? We all, you know, even if we're not, don't have any difficulty in our life, we still have needs, right? We still have things that we want, there's always something that could be better. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to ask Him. And this is an ibadah in and of itself. And it's interesting, you come across some people who say that, no, I, I, you know, I don't make dua. They'll, they'll pray, they read Qur'an, everything. But they say, I don't make dua because I feel like I'm begging Allah ta'ala. I feel like I'm trying to bribe Allah. Uh, the point, the fact that you feel like you're begging Allah, that's the, that's the point. The fact that you feel that way, that's the point. We are supposed to be begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another verse of Quran, Allah Ta'ala says, وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمْ أُدْعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ That your, your Rabb, He says, أُدْعُونِي Make dua to me. Call out to me. أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ And I will answer you. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ عِبَادَتِي سَيَدْخُلُونَ جَهَنَّمْ دَاخِرِينَ That indeed those... So what, what was the first part of this verse? Allah Ta'ala is saying, Supplicate, pray to me, make du'a. He's not. This is not talking about salah here, right? Sometimes we talk about prayers when we when we translate the word. We we translate salah and du'a as prayer, right? But this is there's a difference, right? Salah is like the ritual actions that we go through five times a day, right? Du'a is asking Allah Taala, supplicating. So in this verse, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is saying, supplicate to me, and I will answer you. And then the very same verse, He says, Inna ladina yastak biruna an ibadati. That indeed those who are what arrogant who are too proud to worship me, who are too proud of worshiping me, who are too proud of being my slaves. Sayyidina Jahannam Dahirin, soon they will enter the fire humiliated. 
this, tell, this bridges the point for us that du'a, it doesn't mean that you know, not everything is to be taken completely literal. This doesn't mean that if a person doesn't make du'a to Allah, then Allah Ta'ala is going to put them in the fire, right? But what's the, the key word here? Yastakbirun. Being arrogant, being too proud to ask Allah. So if we are saying, and you know, the example that I gave, it's the individuals that have said those things, it's in their own ignorance, right? I, I, don't, I really don't feel that they were trying to, you know, show their arrogance to Allah Ta'ala. So it's in their own ignorance. And this is the state that we've reached, right? That we have like, we've compounded ignorance, that we don't even realize what we don't know. But if we are too proud to ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, if we don't supplicate to Him, there's a possibility of arrogance and pride. And we shouldn't feel that I'm too high to ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. We should beg of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Right? <clears throat> now, as was mentioned that the hadith of the Prophet that dua is the marrow of worship. So the purpose of dua is to display our humility before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why dua is an act of worship. That's why it's an act of worship. That's why we are to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's not good enough that we simply memorize a few duas from the Quran in Arabic and after salah we quickly, you know, shoot them off and we don't even think about what we're, what we're reciting and we don't make our own dua our personal dua that's not good enough we should memorize the duas from the Quran from the hadith but it shouldn't just become something that is second nature to us it shouldn't become such second nature to us that we don't even realize what we're reciting it's not even like we're doing anything you know that like for example how you can uh, you know maybe you can drive and hold a conversation at the same time it's second nature right you're not even thinking, you're not even thinking like you drive home. You're not even thinking about, oh, now I need to turn here. Where do I need to go next? You're just moving along. You're thinking about half a million other things. That's not what dua should be to us. You know? That's not what it should be to us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He already knows what we need. And He already knows what we want. But He still commanded us to make dua to Him. He still commanded us to make dua to Him. There's a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Because the, the question is that... Um, Inshallah, we'll get into that next. But one thing Imam Ghazali rahimullah, he mentions is that we have to be responsive to the commands and prohibitions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah ta'ala is the answerer. He's the one that responds, right? So what is our part? That we have to respond to Him. How do we respond to Him? By fulfilling what He has commanded, by staying away from what He has prohibited. That's how we respond to Him. Furthermore, Imam Ghazali rahimullah, mentions that we should answer the call of those who call upon us. When someone has a need from us, and they call out to us, they ask us for something, we should try our best to help them out, try our best to fulfill what they need. When the beggar comes to us and asks us for something, for money or for food or whatever it might be, right? We should try our best to give them what we can, right? What is within our means reasonably. And if we're not able to, then at least we should wish well for them, we should supplicate for them, right? Give them some type of dua also. There's a, in, in Surah Duha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, السائل, That as for the one who begs, as for the one who asks of you, تنهر, Do not turn them away, like do not humiliate them. Right? Surah Duha, one of the last, you know, off, awfully, most, often, most awfully recited uh, uh, surahs, towards the end of the Quran. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't be cruel to the one who asks of you. But that's what happens oftentimes, right? Beggars come and then we just, we get angry, we get frustrated. Like living in South Africa, you know, like you get to know their faces, you know, because they kind of hang around the same places and whatnot. But Allah Ta'ala has commanded us, don't disgrace them, don't humiliate them. 
He's given you an upper hand, right? He's given you more. So this is not our wealth. This is not our wealth. We should, this is the wealth of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He has entrusted to us. So part of that trust is that we spend it in ways that are pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we can't give it to them, if we don't have very much, we can't give it to them, don't be wretched to them, don't humiliate them, at the least give them some supplication. This is what Imam al he mentions. And then he goes on, he says that those who are too proud to accept any gifts, those who are too proud to accept any gifts and who refuse every invitation, and they don't care for causing hurt to the one who invites them. They have no share in this name. What does this mean? Because this name is what the one who responds, right? So when somebody, you get certain individuals, sometimes, you know, someone wants to give you a gift and you refrain a little bit. You know, you feel shy. You don't really have a, you know, very strong relationship with them. You kind of, you feel shy about it. But there's individuals who feel themselves above getting gifts. Sounds crazy because everyone likes gifts, right? <laughs> Sounds crazy. But there are those individuals who just say, no, I refuse to accept gifts from people. Right? Or when they're invited to a gathering, they're invited to a you know, dinner or something like that, constantly they refuse everybody. And they do it, the type of people Imam Muzayyad is speaking about, and maybe this was something more prevalent in his time, that's why he mentioned it. But somebody who refuses invitations, not because they uh, aren't able to go, not because they have something else to do, you know, not even because they just kind of, sometimes you just don't feel like going, but those people who feel too proud to respond. Right? To go out to these invitations. Because going out, like when somebody invites you to a wedding, for example, then we should try our best to go to it, right? As long as, you know, things that are forbidden and whatnot aren't taking place there, we should go to it, right? If we're able to. And there's a hadith about that, that responding and trying to go to these types of things. But to be too proud of it, that such, to such an extent that you cause pain to an individual, that is, this person has no share in this name. Right, so one example that occurred to me, which might be maybe loosely related to this topic, but uh, you know, we talk about in, in aspects of the sawaf and tazkiyah, what's spoken about is not eating to your fill, right? So, you know, eating how much you need, but not stuffing yourself, right? But then sometimes you go to someone's house, and what's What's common when you go to someone's house, they keep filling your plate, keep filling your plate, you know? Like my father was like that too, right? Somebody would come, he would put the food in their plate and you can tell they're full, right? Sometimes we get carried away with our self-righteousness, our tasawwuf. And this is why it's important that we are under the guidance of other individuals who know better. Why? Because we might be thinking, you know, it's, it's blameworthy to stuff ourselves. But what's worse is to cause pain to an individual. So there was one sheikh who said that early in his life, when he st first started traversing the path of Tazkiyah, he went to someone's house and he, he ate very little because he was trying to be hard on his nafs. So he ate very little. And he ended up causing pain to the person who invited them. They felt insulted that he's not eating our food. But this person was like, no, I have to strive against my nafs. They weren't trying to hurt this individual. It wasn't even they didn't like the food. They were just trying to strive against their nafs. When they went and sat in the company of the ulama, the shiuch, and they watched the sheikh go to somebody's house and ate to their full, like ate to their fill, to the point where you're like, how much is this person eating? You know, he's always talking about tazkiyah and you know, not eating to your fill, but he's stuffing himself. Afterwards, the sheikh said that this person would have felt insulted. I wanted to eat enough that it w this person would feel satisfied, you know? Feel, that doesn't mean we have to completely stuff ourselves, but we should eat to sometimes to the, 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 get the host's content, right? Why? So that we don't cause them pain. So we can't, it's kind of loosely related, but we can't fall into that, um, 
you know, this uh, misconception and, and misguidance. Now, <clears throat> regarding du'a, every single du'a is accepted. The Rasulullah has said every du'a is accepted in one of three ways. One, that you either get it in the way that you're asking for. Number two, that it, you know, some, some evil which was equal to what you were asking gets blocked. Right, so some evil was going to befall you, and Allah. Ta- so, for example, maybe you make dua that, oh Allah, you know, let me, uh, you know, grant me this job that I've applied for. Okay, you don't get the job. Possible that one of the ways it was accepted was that some other evil was going to befall you, and so Allah Taala used that dua to be a shield for this uh, this this misfortune that was going to come upon you. Thirdly, that if it's not answered in this dunya, it will be recom- you will be recompensed in on the day of judgment. Right? And on that day it has been mentioned that whatever you will have wished on that day That none of your du'a were accepted in this world And all of them were given to you on Yawm Al-Qiyamah That that's how great that recompense will be right? That's how great that recompense will be However, there is a hadith of Rasulullah Which is a part of a longer hadith But he mentions that an individual who stands before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Disheveled and in total humility to Allah Right? Not on Yom Al-Qiyamah, but you know, in our own, like in this world, completely humbling ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and calls out, Ya Rabb, Ya Rabb, that oh my Rabb, oh my Lord. And then the Prophet says, But, haramun, 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 haram. But this individual, his food is prohibited. What he eats is prohibited. His drink is prohibited. His dress is prohibited. And what he satiates himself with is prohibited. You know, further, I mean, talking about food and drink, right? What this person has nourished himself with is from the haram. Uh, then how can this person hope that their dua will be accepted? Now this is what the Prophet is giving us an indication here. That in order for our dua and things to be accepted, we have to try to live a life of piety as best we can. And what he mentions... Mat'am, he mentions food. He mentions mashrab, another thing that we take into our mouth, right? Drink, also a part of food. Ghudiya bil haram. Ghudiya comes from a word uh, to, to nourish yourself, basically. Also being from the haram. And then malbas, the clothes is also mentioned. But out of the four things mentioned, three of them relate to food. The Prophet is saying that this individual who consumes the haram, how does he have hope his du'a will be accepted? Indicating to us that if we eat haram, our du'a likely will not be accepted. He's not saying definitely not, but he's saying, yeah. Um, what about then like some non-Muslims Right, that's a good question. Now that's actually mentioned in the commentary of this hadith, right? That um, this doesn't necessarily mean that it definitely will not be accepted. Because there are Non-Muslims whose du'as are accepted also, right? Um, but there, is, there isn't much likelihood in this du'a being accepted. However, there is an, it doesn't necessarily contradict either because it's another, uh, uh, what's it called? Well, you know, in one way it doesn't, necessarily, it doesn't necessarily contradict, but typically the ulama say, why? Because I'm thinking of the, the non-Muslim who's oppressed, Right? That any oppressed person, the Rasulullah said that an oppressed person, his du'a is answered. And he doesn't put the restriction of being a Muslim or non-Muslim, right? Um, however, sometimes people who are, do not, who are not Muslim, their du'a is also answered. 
So this doesn't necessarily mean that it definitely will not be answered, but it's likely that it won't be answered. In another hadith, Rasulullah says that whoever uh, consumes haram, then his salah is not accepted for 40 days. His salah is not accepted for 40 days. That doesn't mean that you can stop praying for 40 days. The salah is still valid, and it doesn't mean that you have to make up the salah. There's a difference between acceptance and validity, right? Every one of our salahs might be valid, meaning that we adhere to all the rules that were necessary in order for the salah to be valid. But it's possible Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't accept that salah, right? So there's a difference between acceptance and validity. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet said that whoever consumes haram, he specifically mentions the drinking of wine, which is considered to be one of the worst things you can consume, right? That uh, a person who consumes haram, then his salah is not accepted for 40 days. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a verse of Quran, he says uh, that, I think something to the effect, kulu right? That eat from that which is pure, then do righteous deeds. This is another indication to us that if we want to do righteousness, we have to eat what is pure. We have to eat what is halal. Because halal, in, halal intake, halal food, and halal income also, because income has an effect on our food. If our income is haram, then we buy something that was halal to us, that will also be detrimental to us spiritually, right? The food doesn't necessarily become haram, but the money is still haram, and so it's as though you're still consuming haram. Okay? So, what are we saying? <clears throat> that, uh, right, so that if you do, if you consume haram, then likely... We will, that haram will enable us to do things that we are not supposed to be doing. Enable us to do the prohibited. But if we eat what is pure, halal and tayyib, then we will have the strength to do what is righteous. We will have more strength to do what is righteous. And there's a, there's a narration about Imam Malik, rahimullah, that he said, one individual came and asked him, can I, you know, I have this money that is from like an interest source, for example, right? So interest, usury is haram, right? He says that, uh, you know, what should I do? Who should I give it to? Can't I just give it away in charity? Right? So the way if we have haram wealth, we are supposed to dispose of it. Um, we are supposed to dispose of it. We shouldn't give it to Muslims even. We should give it to non-Muslims. And we, can't, we should not intend sadaqah. So don't intend any reward with it. Right? The individual asked Imam Malik, he said, why? Why can't I just give it to this Muslim? So Imam Malik said, look, there's a chance... Likely, he said, he said, if you go ahead and give it to this Muslim and then go watch what he does with it. So this individual, he gives it to a Muslim guy and the Muslim guy goes, takes the wealth, he buys some food, he consumes it, and then he went and this individual went and fornicated. The man came back and spoke to Imam Malik, told him what happened. He said, he took some of his own wealth, he said, now go and give this to the same man and watch what he does with it. He went and took Imam Malik's wealth, which was totally pure, gave it to this individual, the individual went, he bought some food, he ate, he ate from it, and then he went and he engaged in acts, acts of righteousness. So what happened? The effect of eating haram led to what is prohibited. And the effect of eating halal led to what is righteous. Right? So now if a, what, if a Muslim drinks wine, that's horrible. If a non-Muslim drinks wine, well, they don't know about sharia anyway, right? So like, how are you going to be held accountable for that? You know what I mean? So there's a difference, right? So eating good food, eating halal food is extremely important. And in the same hadith, right, sometimes we think, now there's halal food and there's tayyib food. Tayyib is what is higher, more, more pure than halal even, right? Something that has not been contaminated at all. 
uh, <clears throat> in the same hadith, Rasulullah says, eat from the tayyib foods. Okay? And then what's interesting is that people sometimes, when we speak about these types of things, the response is that, uh, the response is that well, that was, that was for the Prophet. That was for the righteous people, right? To try and have the highest level of purity in their food. Okay? However, the very next thing that Rasulullah says is that inna Allah amara that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded al-mu'mineen, the mu'mineen with that which he commanded the mursaleen. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded the believer with the same thing that he commanded the messengers. So we can't just say that, oh, that was for a higher, you know, they had a higher code. So we don't have to try and eat, you know, such a pure level of food. Yeah. Tayyib food, so the difference between halal and tayyib food is, as we mentioned that halal is, it is halal, right? So there's no sin in eating it, okay? Uh, tayyib would be, you know, one example is that perhaps we, the way that you seek that food, right? So tayyib, I, I, one, one aspect is that it could pertain to, uh, you know, try to exclude all the different like chemicals and pesticides and whatnot that are in the foods today. Another aspect, another aspect is that a spiritual aspect, that the way you go about getting the food, right? So you know how, for example, like sometimes there's a bag of candy sitting there and it's your brother's. You just take it and you eat it. The food may have been halal for you, right? It's questionable because it wasn't yours, right? Like if I go and take one of your guys's, you know, some of your food without asking, then that's very problematic, right? Now, maybe you take a piece of candy from your brother, right? You didn't ask him, so it's not, it wouldn't be considered to be tayyib, right? So it's more pertaining to the spiritual aspects of it, right? Or how you go about it, um, you know? Or, like we said, somebody gets income from a haram source, right? Then they go and buy an orange and they eat it. Is the orange halal or haram? It's halal, right? But it's not considered tayyib because you used haram wealth to attain it. No, so that's the thing. There's a higher level of halal also, right? So like what we just mentioned, there's a higher level of it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ulama say that Allah ta'ala doesn't, like he doesn't repeat unnecessarily, right? He doesn't repeat for no reason. There's a reason for it. Every harf, every particle, there's a reason for that, right? That's mentioned in the Quran. So there's a higher level of purity in the food. Understand? Staying away from that which is doubtful also, right? Doubtful could still be halal, right? But it wouldn't be tayyib. Understand? Yeah. But then, like, for, like, soda and stuff, like, uh, I know there's a bunch of people, they, they don't drink it because it's not, it's well, but not tayyib. Yeah, soda's probably not tayyib. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's unhealthy, right? It's unhealthy. But uh, typically, tayyib is, is pertaining to something else. I mean, it could be, as that's what you mentioned, it could re- uh, uh, pertain to a health aspect, but a spiritual aspect is, is more likely. More you know what I mean? More likely. So, um... For example, food that gets, might get contaminated, right? Contamination happens. You go to a restaurant, there's contamination happening there, right? You might get something that's halal, but there might be contamination that's happening. That's why restaurant food typically is not considered to be tayyib, right? 
Even if there's, even if, even if uh, no haram is being served there, right? There's no pork there. There's no unhalal meat. There's no, um, there's no alcohol. Nothing. The ulama never considered halal, uh, restaurant food to be tayyib, although it's halal. Understand? This is a difference, right? There's a story, and it's just a story. But there was one child who, when people were coming, he was separating the shoes from one side to the other. Okay. And um, he, people asked him, what are you doing? So he said, these shoes are the people of Jannah and these shoes are the people of Jannah. So some of the mashaykh, they looked at that and they're like, this kid might be having some type of kashf or something. Kashf is like when the veils are opened up to you, you get insight into something that's not apparent. So they said, you know what? Go and, take, uh, go and get them some food from the market. And when they fed him food from the market, it was halal. He stopped doing that, right? You see it in madrasa, it's funny, like you go to madrasa, after you come back from Ramadan, there's those individuals that stay in the school and there's those individuals that go home. Those that stay in the school, they usually are on a higher spiritual level when you come back from, from Ramadan, like when we come back on our, from our break. They're usually on a higher spiritual level. So they'll catch you on everything. You know, you're not eating in the, that's not exactly the sunnah method to eat. Like you're not, your posture is not exactly, you know, according to sunnah. This thing, that thing, they'll catch you on all these things. So what some of the older, more senior students do who know, and who have seen this before and experienced, they'll start going and they'll start getting like restaurant food and they'll just start feeding it to these guys. After like two or three meals, they leave, they stop catching you on. They, they even leave the Sunnah Bashas themselves, right? I mean, these are not things that are like, you know, 100% like Yaqeen and we believe it like this. But through experience, you see that, right? You see that. People are on higher spiritual levels and when they start eating a lot of restaurant food, their spiritual levels drop a little bit. Right? So that's why restaurant food's not tayyib, although it's halal. It's, you're not sinful for eating it all, at all. Right? You're not sinful for eating it at all. Now, there's some etiquettes of du'a. Speaking about du'a, there's some etiquettes of du'a. Uh, you don't have to have wudu to make du'a. Du'a is something that you can do everywhere and anywhere. You don't have to verbalize it. You can say it in your heart. You can think it, whatever it might be. Okay? But certain etiquettes of du'a is that we should start with hamd. We should start with praises of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakta yadal jalali wal ikram. Right? So praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh Allah, you are most merciful. Right? All praises belong to you. Right? Praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, make a salawat on the Prophet Because the ulama say that the only thing that you are sure absolutely positive that is accepted, what dua is accepted, the only thing that is absolutely positive, yaqeen and with certainty, is salawat on the Prophet So you begin with salawat and you end with salawat. And so if the beginning is accepted and the end is accepted, it's hoped that everything in the middle would also be accepted. So begin with hamd, praises of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, salawat on the Prophet then humble yourself. Humble yourself. Allahumma dhalamna anfusana That, oh Allah, we have wronged ourselves. Right? وَإِن لَمْ تَغْفِرْ لَنَا فَإِنَّا لَنَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ That if you do not forgive us, then definitely we will be from the losers, right? Humble ourselves. Oh Allah, you know, I am in need of you. I have wronged myself. I have sinned. Then make dua for maghfirah. Make dua of maghfirah. Make dua that Allah Ta'ala forgives you. Right? And we should be begging Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. We should cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we make dua. Cry to Allah ta'ala. And if we can't cry, fake it till you make it. Make the face of it. Right? Really, like eventually it will come. Right? You'll be a faker in the beginning, eventually it will come. Right? Eventually it will come. 
This is humility to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then we ask for ourselves. So we ask, make maghfirah first. Then we make dua for ourselves. First dua for ourselves, then dua for other people. Why? This is not an aspect of selfishness. This is an aspect of humility. If there is some faqir, if there is some uh, person, a needy person, and he's brought before a king, what's he going to do? King asks him, that, what, what do you need? And say, you know, there's my neighbor, this guy, he needs this thing, this guy needs this thing. No, he's going to ask for himself first, right? So this is not selfishness, this is us asking, this is us showing our humility to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that I, I realize I'm in the most need of you. That's what it, that is. That's why we ask to offer ourselves first. Then make du'a for others, right? Starting with our family, right? Starting with our family, then, starting, then going on to like our friends, and then let the circle get bigger, right? Those of us around us, the rest of our community, the rest of the country, all of humanity, right? And we should ask, make du'a for things related to deen, to, to deen and taqwa first. Then ask for the dunyawi things. Then ask for whatever worldly things that we, have to, that we, that we need to be fulfilled. Right? And then you, again you, uh, end with the salawat on the Prophet right? We should also try to learn like some, a, few, you know, a couple of Arabic du'as to start our du'a off with, to end our du'a with. These are all like the adab of du'a. It's not like if you don't do it this way, it's not going to be accepted. Ultimately, acceptance is in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Now going back to what we mentioned about the salah not being accepted for 40 days, this doesn't mean that we don't pray for 40 days. Because the obligation of praying is still there. We still have to do it. But Allah Ta'ala has said He's not going to accept it. 40 days if we don't pray then you're getting a sin for not praying so that's like a double whammy right <laughs> it's like a double thing and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا that uh, oh, oh, oh my slaves again قُلْ يَا عِبَادِي oh my slaves again what do we say عِبَاد this is when Allah uses this address to us this is not Yayuhul Nas. This is not Yayuhul Ladina Amanu. Right? This is not all you who believe. This is Ya Ibadi. Right? Ibad, and then Allah Ta'ala linking it with me, saying, Me, oh my slave, oh my servant. This is showing his compassion for us. Alladina who? Alladina asrafu ala anfusim. Those who have transgressed against themselves. La taknatu mir rahmatillah. Do not become despondent in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna Allah yaghfiru dhunuba jami'a. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is he forgives sins, jami'ah, all of them. He forgives everything. So if we have consumed something haram, unknowingly, right? sorry, knowingly, if we've consumed it knowingly, don't lose mercy, don't, lose, don't get despondent in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make dua, pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Your, your salah is not accepted. That doesn't mean your dua is not accepted. Right? So continue making dua. Repent, make tawbah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I have... This is an address to those who those who wrong themselves, who transgress against themselves. So we can't say, oh, well, they're on a higher level. So there's no point in me making dua. No, those who wrong themselves. Not those who did not wrong themselves. Right? This is addressed to those who have, we have wronged ourselves. We've done something we weren't supposed to do. This is, don't become despondent in the mercy of Allah. Right? That's why earlier Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, answer, call upon me, I will answer it. Right? I will answer it. Those were some of the notes pertaining to making du'a. Du'a is so important. It is, as we mentioned, the marrow of worship. We should be making du'a all the time. It should become second nature to us that we make du'a all the time. Not such second nature that we don't realize what we're saying, but such second nature that we always turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Always turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what He loves. Right? Sometimes we might think that Allah ta'ala doesn't answer my du'a. It's been mentioned 
that sometimes he delays the answering because he loves to hear your voice. And sometimes he answers the dua of certain individuals immediately because when they call out to him, he hates hearing their voice. So he quickly gives them so that they stop calling out to him. Right? It's been mentioned, right? It doesn't mean that if your dua is answered right away or you're one of those people. Right? Sometimes a person becomes so beloved to Allah, they just barely lift their hands and the dua is answered also, right? So what does that tell us? That we just don't know. There's no formula, right? So there's, there's not a situation that we can say, oh, this person's dua is accepted because Allah loves him. This person does not because Allah hates him. There's no formula to it. Both are a reality, right? Yeah. I would say not necessarily the length, but don't be hasty, right? You can be short, and, and, but yet not be hasty. You can be short and meaningful, right? And then a long du'a just for the sake of length, right, is, you know, might, might not be beneficial, but I mean, du'a is something that's hard to do for a long time if you don't really have the, the heart for it. It's really hard. You know, I mean, there's people that make du'a the day of Arafat, they sit there for hours, four, five, six hours making du'a, right? Like there were some of the mashayikh making du'a for three hours was nothing to them. We get tired after like five minutes, ten minutes, we get tired, right? So making a long du'a is, is uh, it's, it's not something that's going to happen. Unless like you have some crazy, like, let me just show off to everybody, right? That can drive you to do it too. <laughs> but like, it's something that's hard. If you don't have the heart for it, if you really don't feel it, lengthy du'a is... is it's going to be difficult. Meaning, if you do a lengthy du'a, it's probably heartfelt, and that's great. The important thing is heartfelt, that, that you should be sincere in your du'a. So even if it's short, but not hasty, like after salah, after salah is one of the times du'a is accepted. Uh, you know, after, uh, between asr and maghrib, particularly the last moments of asr, du'a is accepted, the last month before maghrib, right? Uh, after, before fajr time, the last one-third of the night, the time du'a is accepted, right? There's a lot of times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just opened up for the acceptance of du'a. Right? So we should try to use those times, make du'a at those times. Call out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just be, have it, let it be meaningful. Not like we finish our salah quickly, get up and run off. Right? Okay, sometimes it happens, we have to, we're in a rush. Right? But that shouldn't be the case. We should make sure we take a proper amount of time out to make our salah in an appropriate manner, with steadiness, with ease, and that we can make du'a afterwards. Yeah. Um, so, from my understanding, the hadith said that like anything that intoxicates is wrong, right? Um, right. So, what, uh, someone had a convincing argument that like uh, caffeine, you know, caffeine that has like, like drug effects on the brain and stuff, and it's a stimulant. So, would, would it be like the same thing? No, that's not the same thing because that's not um, that's not uh, impairing your judgment. Right, drinking like a liter of coke is not the same as drinking a liter of wine. <laughs> right, it's not the same as having like I don't know what the equivalent of marijuana would be. You know what I mean? Like no matter how much Coca-Cola you have, your judgment's not going to be impaired. You're just going to get a little hyper, you know, maybe. But like your judgment's not going to be impaired. Whereas with things like marijuana, alcohol, a lot of it will intoxicate you to the point where you don't even know what's going on around you. So if that, if that possibility is there, then even in small amounts, that substance will be haram, right? So people build up a, uh, a defense, right? Uh, what's, the, what's the word? 
they build up like a, a tolerance, right? So the first time a person drinks alcohol, it, it, they'll probably get drunk. But if they have a habit of it, they'll be able to drink a lot more and they won't get drunk. First time somebody smokes weed, they're going to get high. They have a habit of it, they'll be able to take a lot more, right? I remember like one time, I think uh, the police came, it was Drug Awareness Week in high school, and they put a line, a tape, a piece of tape on the stage, right? And we put on goggles that give you the vision of somebody who's drunk. And it's like everything swaying and stuff, and we had to try and walk the line, right? And it was really hard, right? There were people that were like walking in a totally different direction. One guy got up there and walked it like he didn't even have these goggles on, <laughs> right? Probably his vision wasn't impaired, probably because he was, whatever the equivalent of alcohol would have been to that, didn't make a difference on him, right? So that doesn't mean that, oh, this amount doesn't intoxicate me, therefore I can drink it. No, because eventually it could intoxicate you, therefore it would be haram, even in small amounts. Any other questions pertaining to the talk? Allahumma anta salam inka salam tabarak di hadhal jalali wal ikram sami'na wa ta'na wa ghafranaka rabbana wa lika al-masir Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallam Ya Allah, we have wronged ourselves Ya Allah, Ya Allah, we are in need of you Ya Allah, and you are completely independent of us Ya Allah, you know our needs, our desires, our wants Ya Allah, you know it better than we know it Ya Allah you know what is best for us and what is worse for us, Ya Allah. Grant us what is best for us, Ya Allah. Make us content in your affairs, Ya Allah. Make us content in what you have stipulated for us. Ya Allah, grant, the, grant us the best of this world and the best of the Akhirah. Forgive us of our sins, our major sins, our minor sins. Unite us with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on Yawm al-Qiyamah. Ya Allah, let us, let us live a life that is pleasing to you. Grant us a death that is pleasing to you. And raise us on Yawm al-Qiyamah with those that have pleased you. Grant us a place under your perfect and supreme shade on Yawm al-Qiyamah. Ya Allah, ya Allah, let us drink from the hands of our beloved Habib sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the hawd al-kawthir which you have promised him. Grant us a swift and easy passage across the sirat into Jannah, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, grant us the right to intercede on others' behalf, Ya Allah, on Yawm al-Qiyamah. Ya Allah, grant us the highest stages of Jannah al firdaus without any accountability. Ya Allah, make our grave easy for us. Ya Allah, grant us felicity in our graves. Ya Allah, those that have passed before us, grant them felicity in their graves and forgive them their sins. Ya Allah, guide us, guide our families, guide our progeny, Ya Allah. Guide this whole world, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, let us be beautiful examples and beautiful, beautiful resemblances and, and representatives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for ourselves and for the whole world, Ya Allah. Grant us sincerity, Ya Allah, and remove all arrogance from our hearts. Remove all the ailments and illnesses from the heart, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we beg of you and, seek, we beg of you and ask of you for all the good that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked you for and we seek refuge in you from all the evils that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sought refuge in you from. Allahumma inna nas'aluka min khayri ma as'alaka minhu nabiyuka Muhammadun sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa na'udhu bika min sharri masta'ada minhu nabiyuka Muhammadun sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa anta al-musta'anu alayka al-balaq wa la hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-aliyya al-azim subhana rabbika rabbil azzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen